I was thinking the the idea of this podcast was to send our just our normal voicemails to each other about all the flim flam we talk about. But as I was about to send you a message today, I did think that in the back of my mind, um, oh, will this go in the podcast? Do I have to temper what I say or do anything like that? Should I be considerate of what I'm saying? I've decided no. So um, I'm, however random this might be to anyone who hears it, um, I'm just going to keep just rambling on as I always do. Anyway, I hope you had a good weekend. I spent my weekend with family doing all sorts of fun things like a toddler's birthday party for my godson and hanging out with my wife which was nice and playing a bit of tears of the kingdom i don't know if you've heard about it it's a pretty big game that's out right now as i was playing this up-to-date modern brand new game i was thinking about what you would be doing and i can only imagine you were playing some rando ps2 game from 2003 maybe tied into a to a movie was there a a game based on the film daredevil with ben affleck if there was and you i bet you know this if there was i bet you've played it (laughs) yes uh there was and yes i have played it Uh, although strangely that i was like obsessed with that film when i was a kid it was um it it was not a good movie, but I really liked Daredevil. <laughs> but there was a there was it was a, there was only a Game Boy Advance game. It was really weird. Like you'd think they'd be like PS two and GameCube. It was a Game Boy Advanced Daredevil game that tied into that movie, and I had it and I played it, and it was not good, but I loved it. Um, <laughs> something about Daredevil was pretty badass. Just like him, it's a blind fellow with a lot of gadgets, sort sort of like Batman, but with a bit of magic in there. It's kind of cool. Um, Although I wasn't wasn't that keen on that Netflix series they did. It was kind of shit. Um, I'm actually playing uh, a couple of things at the minute, um, which is funny because one of them literally is a PS2 game from 2003. It's Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness because there's a 20th anniversary coming up and I want to write a 20th anniversary feature about it because I've got a real soft spot for that game. So that's going to make you laugh. Uh, and then the other one is Deus Ex Human Revolution from uh, 2011, which is a game I just love. Um, so, yeah, an eventful weekend. Your weekend sounds lovely. Nice bit of family time. I've just been spending time with Adam Jensen and uh, and Lady Lara Croft. So it's, it's, all, it's all good stuff on my end. <laughs> it's all family fun. I love that period, though, the early 2000s of those really, like, mostly crappy movie tie-ins um on ps2 and gamecube is basically where i remember lots of them although the Game Boy advance did get their own versions of plenty of those games usually even worse i remember i had a copy of um a top gun game and i think my friend had a top gun game can you believe that that's timely isn't it in early 2000s and then i think my friend had the Game Boy Advance version of the Minority Report game, Everybody Runs. Well, I think that came to PlayStation 2 as well. Uh, Scorpion King, I think I had. Um, just real bad stuff. I know I always tease you about your love of the PlayStation 2 version of The Sum of All Fears. Um, but you just wouldn't get that sort of thing anymore. IP is everything these days, but... like second tier films are not the source that everyone wants um 
I'm trying even to think of a movie that might that might apply it, but even those kind of thrillers, those types of films don't exist anymore. So you don't even get those types of games. Um, it's a real shame in a way. Or is it? I don't know. I remember really liking uh, the Batman Begins game. It, it was no Arkham Asylum, but it was actually not too bad. I think that was Eurocom who who made uh, James Bond Nightfire. I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think they had they were Eurocom were not a top tier studio, but they they made some quite good games. Um, but that's a, that's a fun period of. Of games, of course, Spider Man Two, I suppose, is the high water mark at that time. But just, uh, just I don't know. Those publishers like THQ and Activision knocking out crap like Polar Express and Catwoman and all those sorts of things. Good times. We need those times again. Although, what the hell you'd actually base uh, a game on these days? I have no idea because I feel like lots of those movies don't exist anymore. King Arthur. That's another one, Clive Owen's King Arthur. And as for Deus Ex, well, we know my opinion on, on that series. Um, again, a bit like Dishonored, um, it's one of those franchises where I know this is good, but I I know I can't quite get my head around playing it as I want to play it, as you kind of referred to last week. But, um, you know, maybe. I'll listen to your Stealth Boom Boom episode on it. And hopefully it will um, inspire me to revisit it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're so right, actually. Yeah, it's um, it is IP. You know, it's companies wanting to own the IP so they don't have to give half their cash to bloody movie studios, which is you know, whatever. Like fair enough. And a lot of those licensed games were rubbish. But, and you're right, by the way, Eurocom did um, the Batman Begins game, which was a surprisingly solid game, and they did Nightfire, which was a really good Bond game, I think. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things about the old licence. And actually, by the way, my sum of all fears was actually on GameCube, I'll have you know. I think it was, actually. Yeah, GameCube. I rented it from uh, Choices Video <laughs> when I was very young and uh, got stuck immediately and, and, and binned it off, I think. No! No, I did get stuck, but years later, I went back to it and finished it. Christ knows why. I don't even really like that film. I think Affleck's a rubbish Jack Ryan. Um... But there's, there's, there's two things with the old licensed thing. <laughs> thing number one is actually, you know, it's kind of a myth that there weren't any good... Like, as you say, yeah, like Spider-Man 2, that, that was a good one. But this idea that, oh, they were always rubbish. Well, they were often rubbish because of time constraints and things like that. But actually... I mean, <laughs> some of them were just really good. That Batman Begins one was good. I, I thought Spider-Man 2 was good. Um... I I never played Catwoman, <laughs> but there were there were licensed games which were just really really good. I mean stuff like The Godfather, right, or The Warriors. Now you know they don't coincide with cinematic releases, um, but they're still you know they're they're still like licensed properties, and and they were just really good. And but the other thing is is that. It was good when they licensed uh, a, a lot of those movie IPs just because often they were interesting IPs or maybe if, 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 if they weren't the most... 
they were often in genres which video games don't really fuck with now. You know, I can't get a straight thriller out of video games to save my bloody life. It's all magic powers these days. If anyone said, oh, we're going to do a Jack Ryan game, I'd be, all, I'd be all over it, you know? But I think video games, the IP window's narrow. Either you bring in the orcs and goblins or you blast off into space for the super sci-fi or, you know... But that, you know, that's the thing. One of the sort of advantages of the licensed games back in the, back in the day was that you did get interesting... Uh, properties that were often sort of adult or and had interesting ideas or interesting worlds um, and we we sort of don't really have that now Robert Ludlum's The Bourne Conspiracy is one of the better licensed things not based on a particular movie but I think but it sort of did loads of the stuff from The Bourne Identity and was just a really solid little espionage thriller that I played on the Xbox 360 that was exactly the game I was going to mention. Um, I never played it, but I recall there was lots of uh, positive buzz about it in the likes of Edge magazine. And the developers, High Moon Studios, I think, were very clear about how they wanted to, you know, base it on the book series and not the films. It was a, a you know, a considered approach. And um, I bet you played it. Um, I never did, but I, I. But that's you're right. That's the type of game that doesn't really exist anymore. I think that studio is now um, on the Call of Duty train. So, uh, well done them, I guess. Another one I liked was Scarface, but I think my fir- my favourite by far uh, was a was a PS2 game based on John Carpenter's The Thing, a real slow burn, tense game that wasn't an adaptation of the movie per se but really like tapped into that film's atmosphere and tension and um, really successful I mean critically I think it was successful and I think it's quite a cult game now even if it wasn't a huge hit but yeah we really don't we don't see some of these kind of genre busting um, attempts now certainly in the movie space so more's the pity of the movies that are around these days that I think would uh, be candidates for that PS2 era treatment, uh, John Wick springs to mind. I think if if John Wick was out in 2002, there'd have been a, a trilogy of of uh, pretty standard beat 'em ups. I don't know, like Stranglehold style games, maybe. Um, Bullet Train would be another good candidate. But apart from that, I'm not sure what else would. Uh, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that would be a good uh, candidate. Maybe all of Liam Neeson's uh, oeuvre. Maybe Taken 2, the game. The official game. Taken 3, the official game of the movie. On a separate note, um, I, hadn't, I haven't told anyone about this podcast. That's the funny thing. The uh, very few people who are listening to this are really the only people in the world to stumble upon this. I didn't even tell my wife Sharon about it. And the other day I sent her a link and just said, oh, this is interesting. Listen to this. She had no idea... And she was listening to it before bed the other night and chuckling away at you, mostly, um, for good reason, because you're funny, not for any other reason. Um, but she seems to like it, as if she doesn't listen to me witter on enough about nonsense, day in, day out anyway. But um, we have an audience, an appreciative audience of one, at least. Oh, well, as long as, it, as, long as one person's happy, that's, <laughs> that's all that's really important, I think. 
<laughs> I think that those are some great examples, and it, there's a, that, that's I think the difference between um, just the licensed game and the movie tie-in game. Sort of slightly different things. And you're right. I also really liked um, really liked Scarface, um, but that's it. When they're going back to movies that came out years and years before, and they actually have plenty of time, like The Godfather, The Warriors, Scarface. Um, you 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 actually sort of end up with something interesting, and I think the thing is is one of those examples, isn't it? Because it's it's actually the thing is interesting because it's a sequel to the movie, and uh, John Carpenter actually I I think said that the game of the thing he considers to be fully canon, like he considers that to be the sequel to the thing, <laughs> which I thought really made me smile because that game was terrific. And when you when you were talking about the, the Liam, Liam Neeson's oeuvre uh, just then, <laughs> the way you said the official game of the movie, that reminds me that that King Kong game, which was a true tie-in game, might just be one of the best tie-ins ever. Um, because it was sort of released in a timely fashion. I think it was Peter Jackson. It's got the best title uh, possibly of any game ever made. Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie, or at least the longest title of any game ever made. Um, and it was actually really good. I remember it was one of the early 360 games. Great graphics. Followed the plot of the movie, really. And they had those, it was sort of like a first-person shooter with, like, no HUD. And uh, I think it had all the voice talent. It had, like, Adrian Brody and Jack Black and stuff. <laughs> Utterly ludicrous. Um, oh, and a shout out to uh, from Russia with Love, which did have Sean Connery and did go over the plot of that movie, but came out in two thousand and five, and I think is one of the last vocal performances that Connery ever gave. These days, I think it. I think that sort of thing would be spot on. Of course, the the sort of slightly groaning thing is that it, inevitably it would end up being something like Ready Player One or. Um, Oh, I've just remembered another one, actually. That Ghostbusters, the video game, was surprisingly good. And it was actually like a a sequel, wasn't it? It was like they, they used loads of chunks of the script for what was going to be Ghostbusters 3. A load of the plot stuff from that script ended up in the game. And it had, like, Dan Aykroyd and stuff. So sometimes there's got to be something there about video games that were basically the sequels. It's like I always think of Everything or Nothing as, like, the unofficial final Brosnan because it's actually better than lots of the stuff in Die Another Day. But I, th- I think maybe now, you know, Tom Cruise would be ripe for it. Get a, get a bloody Top Gun game going on. Get, uh, get a Mission Impossible game going on. I just, just saw the new trailer for Dead Reckoning. That would be a prime one. You know, r- ride a motorbike off a cliff. Um, <laughs> why not? John Wick, absolutely. Although, um, I really enjoyed that um, John Wick Hex which um, from the, the Mike Bithel Games did. I thought that was a really, really excellent um, sort of weird turn-based, sort of turn-based kind of shooty tactical thing. Um, just done it a bit of a disservice, but I thought that was really good. Maybe these days the sort of tie-in stuff is in the indie space, and if it is, that's a good thing because that was quite interesting, and, and I think they're now doing something, something based on Tron, I think. I really wanted to play uh, John Wick Hex. I thought that looked really interesting, but I never got around to it. I um, I quite like Bithel Games. Is games um, Thomas was alone. Obviously, was was fun. Volume I enjoyed. Um, 
And the new one, Tron Identity, is kind of interesting because looping back to like talking about movies, there's a franchise or an IP that seems ripe for video games, but it's it's never really uh, become anything of note. And this one's a visual novel, which is really uh, a, a, an interesting choice given the source material, let's say that. I did like, I think there were two games called Bithel Shorts, uh, about five years ago, one of them was called Subsurface Circular and the other one was called Quarantine something, maybe Circular as well. Um, and they were really short, uh, but fun, interesting text adventures, effectively, about robots and having a chat, working your way through various decision trees and and uh, dialogue trees and so on and so forth. Quite good, and I guess, a, actually, now think about it, a proof of concept for what this Tron identity seems to be. So, interesting. Another thing um, to talk about, the elephant in the room, I guess, is Zelda. Now, I'm playing through Tears of the Kingdom. I don't think you are, so I'm very... I know, I know your tolerance for spoilers is quite high, but I'm very you know, aware not to rabbit on about it and to be honest if you want to hear people talk about tears of the kingdom you can just look anywhere at the moment i'm sure your dad has an opinion um i'm sure my mum does i'm sure everyone does um suffice to say i'm enjoying it quite a bit but what occurred to me or what i thought might be interesting as you know i am a big zelda enthusiast and i think you are as well to a degree i thought it might be uh, fun to exchange some of our favourite Zelda moments. Uh, let me know if uh, that sounds appealing. And uh, and if it does, you can start. How about that? How generous of me. I think Zelda would have to be it's one one of the more important uh, like series of games for like me personally I think certainly like doing the job I do I probably wouldn't be here were it not for Zelda in some shape or form so a pretty formative series for me I'm not playing Tears of the Kingdom at the minute I will be playing Tears of the Kingdom uh, at some point soon Though I actually still have stuff to do in Breath of the Wild, but I'm trying not to let all the mad hype get to me. Um, uh, though I though I am very much up for hearing your take if you've uh, <clears throat> if you've got some initial reactions for me. Um, but yeah, God, top Zelda moments. There are many. Um, I don't even know where to start. I'll have a think. I'll start with an unconventional one in what is, I think, my favourite 3D Zelda game, uh, and that would be Twilight Princess, because I think that was that that was the Zelda that I was the perfect age for. I think you have different Zelda experiences at different times in your life, and there are just some 
Zelda games that just happen at the perfect age. I think I was like 14 when I played Twilight Princess, so I was old enough to be good at it, or like good enough at it. <clears throat> and like, you know, doing or doing the puzzles in the way that you, you kind of need to, but also to sort of like appreciate the other stuff that it was doing with its mood and its atmosphere. And I, I thought it was really, really cool that it had gone back to like this really lovely kind of intricate art style. I mean, I loved Wind Waker as well, but something about Twilight was just perfect. I loved the moodiness of it, you know, um, just sort of seemed a little bit more adult in a kind of interesting way. Um, but the moment would actually be... Well, there's there's a couple that stand out. The first is when you're just being a farmer, which is, uh, like, at the beginning of the game, and you just have to, like, wrestle. There's, like... forget what they're called, aurochs or something. I think they're, like, bulls, like cattle. And you're just basically being a ranch hand... And one of the great things about Twilight Princess is that it really takes its time to sort of embed you in the world and get you sort of used to, you know, what it's trying to do. And I just remember going around doing things on this farm and just thinking to myself, wow, like, this adventure is going to be amazing, but I'm also totally fine with the adventure not starting for a little while. <laughs> and, like, just just soaking up the atmosphere of it. It's, it's amazing stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just sometimes that game gets um, criticised for how slow it goes, but it's one of my favourite things about it. And uh, the other moment also from that game would be, uh, it's about it's a few hours in, it's when you first go to Eldin Bridge, and uh, by that point you've got the clothing, you've got the tunic, you've got the horse, you've got the sword, and he has like a showdown on Eldin Bridge with a few... Little goblin fellas, um, but goblins, I should say, and he he uh, sort of battles with these guys and saves a couple of the little village children, and he does the thing where the horse kind of bucks up into the air and he sort of holds his sword up, and I remember thinking, oh man, he's arrived, you know, like now I'm the fucking dude, now I'm gonna go and rip shit up. Um, that was a real magic moment because you really sort of felt like you'd earned it at that point. Um, yeah, a lot to be said for that slow burn intro, I think. One thing I'd say about Tears of the Kingdom is don't rush to it. If you're still playing Breath of the Wild and you've got some of the story to finish or the Champion's Ballad DLC to do, which is absolutely fantastic, I just say take your time and work through that. Tears of the Kingdom is shaping up to be, uh, I think, maybe better, but it's definitely an evolution. It's definitely continuation so just take your time and build up to it i don't think that you'll you'll miss out and the game is so big well they both are they're both so big and sprawling like spoilers and things i don't think kind of count it's their playgrounds as much as anything else so i think being part of the conversation it's a conversation that's gonna gonna go on for ages so um and i'm sure that isn't a factor for you so take your time and enjoy it um Tears of the Kingdom is pretty good. I also completely endorse your comments on Twilight Princess. I love that game. I think it's got such a effect in melancholic atmosphere. I love all of the, the, the story points with Midna and, and the kids. I feel like it's got a real sense of... Like I think it might be the best Hyrule for being feeling lived in. Um, 
the people that live there, you feel their struggle, I think, in a way that you don't in some of the other games. And I think it's Ocarina of Time writ large, but that's just a really good thing, in my opinion. Um, and some of the best dungeons, some of the most fantastic dungeons. I love the uh, the uh, the final uh, Sky Temple and um, uh, the the Water Temple in that in that game. Um, a very very good game. I think the first moment I'll pick is from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And in some respects, it's a kind of... The reason I like it, it's kind of embarrassing. It's the fight between Phantom, Ganon and Link. Um, and what struck me about it at the time, it boggled my mind in a way that seems kind of quaint and naive now. But what boggled my mind was that you had a 3D space with a 2D element in it, a painting on the wall of the chamber, or paintings, and Phantom Ganon would ride through the painting, a 2D element, and then emerge into this 3D space for the fight. And at the time, that really like struck me and like warped my sense of how games could be like created. It seems silly now, as I say, but at the time, it was uh, so effective. I mean, it still is effective. Um, and then the fight itself is also just so fantastic, that back and forth of, of a sword tennis uh, as the pace and tempo increases between the wax of the sword and the, the way the sound effects and music play into that. It's a real kind of urgent, aggressive sort of combat encounter and uh, a truly memorable one. I think it's a great, great moment in that game. Oh, yeah, that fight was magic stuff. Yeah, really, really good. And I, 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 yeah, I, I agree about the um, the high rule of Twilight. I also think that Twilight, yeah, f- for me, it's probably got my favourite dungeons. It has a like a a string of dungeons one after the other in the kind of middle game, which is just so so good. And the Sky Temple was 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 amazing. And I love how it, you can usually spot the little sort of nubbin of an idea that 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 will come to obsess the designers later on. There's a lot of stuff in that Sky Temple where you can see Skyward Sword or the seeds of Skyward Sword taking shape in much the same way that in Skyward Sword you can see some of the seeds of Breath of the Wild. And I think now, it's, it's, I mean, having not played Tears of the Kingdom but simply having seen it, um, a lot of the ideas of Tears of the Kingdom even. In fact, it almost seems as though Aonuma was... It was <laughs> seems as if he spent the last couple of games... Um, revisiting things that fascinated him about Skyward Sword, sort of returning to that work and developing on some of its ideas. And I know, you know, Skyward Sword was a pretty controversial Zelda um, when it comes to a lot of fans. And it sort of feels sometimes as though he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's sort of trying to demonstrate, no, look, you know, these, these ideas were brilliant. Let me expand on them, you know. Tears of the Kingdom finally gives you the promise of, like, this this is what it was supposed to be like at the beginning of Skyward Sword. If I had the technology, you know, it it, it, it was supposed to be more than just uh, you know two or three lumps of rock. It's supposed to be like dozens of them, you know, a big, big sky city sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and like, I I can trace that back to that sky temple in Twilight. You've you've also just reminded me of uh, one of the strange little things. And I know this sounds a little bit bonkers, but I think it's valid as a sort of Zelda nutter. Um, one of the things that I've not heard someone, anyone, I don't think, say about Breath of the Wild, 
because uh, I've been playing Breath of the Wild uh, this week when I found time and still still loving it. Um, but one of the things I don't like about Breath of the Wild um, is uh, some of its aesthetics. Um, I, I think that I may be alone in this. Um, I, I'm not too much of a fan, generally, of when Zelda, The Legend of Zelda, gets techie. I really, it's a weird personal taste thing. When it starts to get roboty and very machiney, it, I, it's not where I like my Zelda. I'm much more a fan of that kind of organic pastoral fantasy that you get, you know, earlier on in Breath of the Wild. So things like the Guardians and, and all that sort of stuff. It's not the flavour of Zelda I love. The, the, the aesthetic of the world in Breath of the Wild isn't, even down to the designs of the things like the Gorons and the Zora, they're not my favourite looking of the, of, of the you know that there's that there's been in a Zelda game for me. Just to just to go slightly further on that, one of the things because I've got all the DLC for for Breath of the Wild as well, um, and, and again, you know, this is a, a fairly small thing in the grand scheme of things, but it's like. Link on a motorbike? No, a- absolutely not. That's weird. Get it out of here. And, <laughs> and of course, people can say, "Well, just don't use a motorbike." And I don't, and that's fine. But I'm just—it's that sort of thing. About, about as techy as I like my Zelda is sort of Spirit Tracks, Phantom Hourglass. I can just about do with sort of steam-powered Industrial Revolution era mechanical gizmos. But when they start to get roboty and Oh, actually, Zelda's got a, basically a tablet or a you know Wii U controller or whatever. You know they've got like smartphones now. It's just a little bit not the flavour I love. A small complaint, perhaps a slightly strange complaint, but it's what always leaps out at me with Breath of the Wild, and I s- suppose possibly Tears of the Kingdom as well. Apologies for the multi-day delay in getting back to you. Uh, I took a, a wedding anniversary trip. This weekend to um, well to a nice hotel on Lake Ontario uh, with a, a rather marvelous view some of the time, but some of the time it was rather like uh, looking out into the clouds of tears of the kingdom because it was so foggy. But um, I had a very nice relaxing uh, weekend. But that does mean I failed to get back to you, and I also failed to talk anymore about Zelda so before I witter on about another Zelda moment referring to your slight concerns about the the, sort of the uh, intrusion of modern technology or modern-ish technology I guess I've I've never really had a problem with it I do remember in Twilight Princess finding like the the angular kind of design of the uh, twilight realm and the way that that would like those portals would appear in the sky feeling quite at odds with what was traditional zelda at the time kind of almost electronic looking and very geometric geometric shapes and things and uh found that quite i guess it was deliberately so but quite like abrasive it kind of felt like it did feel like another dimension kind of like infiltrating the world of Hyrule I, I, 
I, I didn't like it at first, but now I do quite like it. In terms of like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, I'm quite a fan because I like how it's not steampunk. It's almost like stone punk. All of these these gadgets and gizmos and elements are really like kind of feel like a combination of like electronics but also masonry it's a very odd and an odd combination and I, and I'm quite a fan of it I'm I'm with you on the bike however I I really do think but though by the time you get that bike you have played all of Breath of the Wild all of the DLC and I really think it's just a gift from the developers to say you know what you've probably put a few hundred hours into this game have at it this is silly it doesn't make sense it's one of the the wild i, I went to a gdc talk and uh, the development team mentioned you know well some early concepts included like a biker version of zelda when they were really trying to think outside of the box and it's just an it's, it's an, an articulation of that and i think it's really just a gift to the most um, ardent of fans to reward them for their adventures and just give them you know keys to the kingdom in a way and and just let people go wild with hyrule and mop up what they what they haven't done so far so i kind of forgive it can forgive it on that um on that front but conceptually yeah it's bonkers although in tears of the kingdom of course you kind of edging towards that with some of the contraptions that you make so it's uh you know it's it's influence is is there to be seen I've been trying to think of another Zelda moment and, and this one isn't even a moment, it's a feeling and I think this feeling <laughs> that I will describe just probably says more about me than it does any game um, because it's a feeling I like in Metroid games, in Zelda games, in, in many, many, many games across different genres. Red Dead uh, gave me this feeling um, and Wind Waker really uh, captured this for me um, even though looking back, you know, the world of Wind Waker, the Wind Waker, is not the largest, really. It's quite sparse in a way, and that's what I liked about it. And I always loved that feeling of jumping out of your boat and wading up to a new location, a new island, kind of coming ashore and there being a sense of uh, discovery there, a sense of no one has maybe been here before, uh, you know, what will be there. I, it's... I hesitate to say it's that sense of loneliness because I think Metroid has this too. And it's, I don't think loneliness is the term, but it's a sense of kind of, of untouched discovery, of finding places that are unseen or have been unseen for, for a long time. And I really love that kind of um, feeling of, of isolation and discovery that comes through. And Wind Waker is interesting in the, in the way that it does it with the aesthetics, which is just so, like, joyful and so cartoony. And yet, when you climb onto, you know, a rock or onto a beach somewhere in some far-flung corner of the map, you still feel, you know, at the ends of the world. And I really think that's a, a lovely feeling. Breath of the Wild manages this too, so does Tears of the Kingdom. But those worlds are so you know, populated, you know that every corner has something. And where Wind Waker is just slightly, you know, scaled back in that regard. So that's, um, it's not a moment, but it's a feeling that I think the Zelda series and many other uh, of my favourite Nintendo franchises, for sure, uh, capture. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good point, man. I'd totally forgotten about the um, the portals and stuff in Twilight Princess. I think you're right. I think that was like in the same way that that Sky Temple... It's like the first little seed 
for lots of the stuff in Skyward Sword. I think those little portals. It's a really good point. It's that it's that sort of slightly techy weirdness. Um, with these, with all these, with this sort of tech thing, um, I don't always mind it. It's it's always about how far they push it. Um, I love your. Uh, I love that stone punk. That's a really. <laughs> That's a really nice way of putting it that I didn't really think of. And I tell you what, because I know exactly what you mean, a version of doing that that I actually really, really like is what you find in Ico and uh, slightly less in Shadow of the Colossus, actually, but a lot more in The Last Guardian of that. It's stone, but it's somehow imbued with, like electrical current or magic or something that i really really love it's something about the more sort of smartphone interfaces in zelda that i just think oh that's a bit because it's not just tech it's it's like modernity it's stuff that links it to to our life on earth which i think maybe for me to ueda's games don't really do they still feel very very other whereas that's the problem it's not just the tech it's the familiarity of the tech it's where you go Oh yeah, that's just a motorbike. That's the intrusion of our world onto Zelda, and in the same way, I kind of go, "Oh, yeah, he's just got a smartphone." So I, I, you're you're absolutely right. I'll slightly tweak what I'd say and say it's not just the tech; it's familiar earthly tech. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a really good point about uh, Wind Waker as well. I really I really love Wind Waker very much, and um, I think it does kind of capture that. It's it's it is a sort of loneliness, and actually, weirdly enough, I think it's <laughs> it ties actually into the story of that game, if you remember it, because it is about the kind of kingdom that you you kind of find under the ocean, and there is a real sense of loneliness when you sort of descend down to the old Hyrule, which I really really like. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like almost like a positive loneliness. Which is a really, really, really odd thing. They nail it in Metroid, when they kind of, sort of blend it with a slight element of like fear and horror, which is really, really effective. Zelda kind of rarely toys with those sorts of emotions. I think, probably for me, the one that does that the best—that kind of forlorn sense of something like, it's almost like nostalgic but sad—is is would be Twilight Princess. I love that, that kind of sense of like the world might be sort of being lost or might be in danger but in a way it's like weirdly beautiful like it does cataclysmic stuff but it does it in a way that's almost appealing which is amazing really (laughs) 